0: Welcome to the Continental Drift. I'm Andy Valver. The war against Ukraine continues. The images we all see daily are heartbreaking, unbelievable, and yet they are all too real, especially for the Ukrainians who are living through it. I'm trying to find something to say that hasn't already been said. I've run out of adjectives to describe the horrors I witness daily on TV news. Here in Europe, the war seems closer, It's the weekend here, and Putin just said that sanctions were akin to a declaration of war. Great. Yesterday, some idiots were firing at the largest nuclear plant in Europe. Yes, they were shooting at it. Europeans remember the Chernobyl nuclear plant meltdown in 1986 vividly. The cloud of radiation spread all over Europe. I wrote a joke back then from the relative safety of Los Angeles. How can you tell the radiation has reached Moscow? The spot on Gorbachev's head is clearing up. Now, it doesn't seem so funny. And the dangers of radiation are very real. This is how Deutsche Welle described it. You can inhale radiation, or it can get into your body via the skin. But you can't see, smell, or taste it in the air. It's an invisible threat. Some of the worst effects of an overexposure to radiation are thyroid cancer, tumors, acute leukemia, eye diseases, and psychological or mental disorders. Radiation can even damage your genes for generations to come. Generations. Nice. This is what Europe faces. And people are complaining about the price of gas. Another surreal aspect of this whole thing is watching the war on TV. I've been watching Sky News Live, which you can get on YouTube for free, and they've done a real good job covering events in Ukraine. They switch back and forth from their correspondence in the field to the studio in London. Even more strange is to watch missiles falling in Ukraine and then switch to a live shot from the UN Security Council in New York. Security Council sessions are fun to watch the Russian ambassador to the UN, Vasily Nebenzia, does not look happy. You just get the feeling he's just going through the motions. He reads his position papers with no emotion, no passion. I almost feel sorry for him. Almost. It's one thing for Putin to lie to the Russian people who don't have access to international news. It's another matter entirely for the Russian representative to the UN to repeat all that stuff to people who live in New York and are watching events unfold in Ukraine. I watch him while the Ukrainian ambassador is speaking, and it looks like he's thinking, okay, if I defect, I can get into witness protection program, maybe live in nice house in Montana, drive pickup truck. Must get the wife and children out of Moscow first. The Ukrainian ambassador, Sergiy kislytsia on the other hand, is animated. He's as real as it gets. It's his country being bombed. The other day he was yelling at the Russian ambassador. Well, yelling is a relative term in the Security Council. You raise your voice a little. That's yelling. But he minces no words. You get the feeling he'd love to go over there and bitch-slap the Russian but the juxtaposition of the relatively measured discussion in the UN versus the shelling and terror of citizens in Ukraine is so stark, so surreal. Words, words, and more words. I was thinking about a movie I saw a while back called The Fog of War. It was an Academy Award-winning documentary from Errol Morris about the former Defense Secretary Robert McNamara. The phrase fog of war is from Prussian military analyst Karl von Clausewitz, and while he didn't actually use the term fog, or "nebel" in German, he did use terms such as twilight and moonlight to describe a lack of clarity. Here's the actual quote. "'War is the realm of uncertainty. Three-quarters of the factors on which action in war is based are wrapped in a fog of greater or lesser uncertainty.'" A sensitive and discriminating judgment is called for. A skilled intelligence to scent out the truth. A skilled intelligence to scent out the truth. Nothing could be harder in today's media landscape. I call it the fog of words. As a student at school, I learned how to interpret media and how to research issues and get to the bottom from one of the best, Professor Marshall Windmiller. It was an eye opening process. Wait, you mean there's media bias? I was young, naive. I grew up in an era when Walter Cronkite, the most trusted man in America, read the news on TV, and you could take what Walter told you to the bank most of the time. Of course, we learned a lot more about war via the release of the Pentagon Papers, and we lost a little bit of innocence. Watching the news today is difficult. The information space is crowded. What do you watch? Who do you believe? How do you verify what is real? I'm lucky. I have time to research issues, check the facts. I was a journalist. But what of today's ordinary news consumer? How do they, after working all day, come home, tired, make dinner, put the kids to bed? How do they manage to sift through the fog of words? They probably have an hour, tops, to scan the news. So what do they watch? CNN? Fox News? CBS? BBC? Deutsche Welle? France 24? Russia Today? Or do they just spend an hour on Facebook and read the headlines there without any idea of the source of what they're reading? There was an interesting statistic I saw a couple days ago from Facebook. They post their top 10 performing link posts daily the stuff that gets hit the most, and before the invasion of Ukraine, the top performers were Ben Shapiro, Dan Bongino, Fox News, For America, Sean Hannity, all conservative and all right-wing. After Facebook and Russia was shut down, it was occupied Democrats several times in the top 10, Ben Shapiro, VOA Burmese News, I don't know, mystery to me, and Bloomberg, So if you think social media can't be manipulated from overseas, think again. Another big issue that we keep hearing about, especially from Putin, is the Nazis who run Ukraine. Are there Nazis in Ukraine? Yes. There are also Nazis in Idaho and Mississippi. There are probably more Nazis in the U.S. than there are in Ukraine. There are Nazis all over the world. Does the Ukraine have a bad reputation when it comes to this? Absolutely. Is Ukraine run by Nazis, as Putin claims? I doubt it. The president is a Jew, which I think pretty much disqualifies you from being a Nazi. There is, however, a group called the Azov Battalion. Real Ukrainian Nazis. A nasty bunch. About 2,500 of them, and they have done bad things, no doubt. They're the ones fighting the Russian nationalists in eastern Ukraine. And yes, they are not nice. In fact, the U.S. trained a lot of them. For now, they're fighting for Ukraine. When this is over, we'll deal with them. So after more than 10 days of war, the tide of PR and global support seems to be in favor of the spunky Ukrainians. Even U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham called for the assassination of Putin, which, while not nice, would solve a lot of problems. I'm sure everyone was thinking it, but no one said it except for Lindsay. And he got criticized on both sides of the aisle. Still. And finally, here's an interesting bit from a news outlet in Ireland called News Talk. Even in the midst of war, the most basic of human urges still continue. Yes, I'm talking about hooking up and sex. News Talk is reporting that Russian troops in Ukraine are on Tinder, trying to hook up with Ukrainian women and we can all figure out how well that is going. Catfishing anyone? Because as the Beatles said, oh, those Ukraine girls really knock me out. That's it for this week. Thanks for giving me some of your precious time. I'm Andy Valver, and this is the Continental Drift.